Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Duo. We are your hosts. I am Matt. And I'm Kate. And today we are joined by, for the first time ever, a guest. Hi. I'm Wes. Hey, uh, if it's any consolation, this is my first time being a guest. So what movie are we talking about today, guys? We're talking about The Avengers, which was released in 2012. I want to start with a fun story. I know that I mentioned a few episodes ago that Thor is my favorite superhero, and I was going to expand upon that when we got to The Avengers. The Avengers is the first movie I've ever gone to see in what you could probably call cosplay, which Wesley was there for that and can attest to this. I went to see The Avengers with a group of friends, including Wes, and I gathered together the pieces to wear a Thor costume to go see it. It consisted of a gray tank top with a red towel safety pinned to it as a cape, a blonde wig that I had found at a yard sale a few weeks before that, one of those really cheap Thor helmet masks from Walmart, and a toy Mjolnir that a friend of ours had. I have a question. I have an answer. Do you have pictures of this? They are deep within the recesses of Facebook. I plead the fifth. There is also a picture somewhere that exists of the group that went to go see the Avengers photoshopped onto the poster for the Avengers. Oh, oh yeah. Even uh, color-coded someone to be the Hulk. Mm-hmm. It was nice. So the Avengers came out in 2012. It is still a Paramount film, but what is unique about this one is that the Marvel Studios logo comes up before Paramount. Who directed this movie? Joss Whedon. Good to know. We're gonna move on from that. Yeah, we are. So, the opening sequence of this movie, we're getting lots of clips of the Tesseract. Like, in the very opening, we're getting, like, the blue light. You know what I'm talking about? The blue transition light. Mm -hmm. Which, at the end of Captain America, we got that. We got the after credit scene of Dr. Selvig being manipulated by Loki. Oh, no, that was the end of Thor. Oh, at the end of Thor, we got that after credit scene. Yeah, I didn't want to comment on that um, that blue stuff because I couldn't remember if that was in the original cut or if they had made edits when they added things to Disney+. Plus. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember either. I didn't even think about the fact that they may have added things for Disney+. Plus. I kind of wondered if, the, if it was originally two and a half hours. Also... There was continuity issues between that end of credit scene and what happened in this movie, correct? With the way that Loki manipulates people? Yes, because he's kind of manipulating Selvig already when Fury comes to him and asks him to look at the Tesseract. Right. And then at the beginning of this movie, he takes control of his mind using the scepter. Right. So that that's a little bit of a, a, a continuity issue. Before that, we get, like, Loki talking to the other in the great void bit and what the other is talking about is not Thanos's plan in the slightest. I know that they just didn't know what the plan was later on, but I really want to believe that uh, this character just doesn't know. Like, he's too much of a low-level grunt to actually get the whole plan. I mean, in the later movies, we see Thanos has got a telekinesis alien and a big brutish alien, and this guy, his superpower is having extra thumbs. 
That's true. He did have an extra thumb. Extra thumb on each hand. Was what he? Would Chitauri do? He. I was gonna say he was a Chitari. Is that also what the people are in Infinity War? It's the same race of people. Yes, it, they have the same faceless, nameless, meaningless CGI aliens in this movie that they do in Infinity War. Like the nameless, faceless army of robots in not not Infinity War. Ultron. They have uh, Infinity War. They have like a different. Crawly alien. The shuttles come down, slam into the planet, and the weird stuff crawls right. out and slams into the force field. Yeah. But in Endgame, the Chitari come back. Endgame is still Chitari. I don't remember in Endgame if they use the Halo Drop swarm aliens or if it was only Chitari, the big armored noodle flying creatures. Do you mean the space whales that are in this movie? They are most certainly the space whales. The, the space yes, whales are used in, in Endgame. Yeah. Yes. Remind me later to ask you, as a biologist person, how you feel about the creatures that you've seen in this movie so far. Okay. So the whole point of that is that we find out that Loki is working for someone. Some mysterious villain in a chair. Right. It's said that he got the scepter from this mysterious person. Yes. There's a lot of continuity issues with this movie. Like, why would Thanos just hand <laughs> over the Mind Stone to Loki? And why the Mind Stone is blue and powered from the Tesseract. Yeah. Why it has the same energy signature as the Tesseract. Which is also gamma radiation. Yeah. Because they, they needed a reason for the Hulk to be there. Yeah. Yeah, there's some continuity issues. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it's the Hitchcock... Ref I think it's Hitchcock. The refrigerator problem, or the refrigerator theory, where while you're watching the movie, unless you're uh, taking notes for a podcast... It's not really so much of an issue in the in the moment, but then later that night when you go to the fridge for a midnight snack, it dawns on you. But also, the continuity issues don't really crop up until eight years after this movie was that is true. released. So I guess it's not a problem for this movie. It's more of a problem for the series. Yeah, you don't really notice it until you go back and rewatch all of the movies and take notes for a podcast. That you right. start noticing the problems, which are important problems if it's a continuity that is supposed to represent a single storyline, which right. these movies are. Unless all of these Phase 1 movies movies are actually just an alternate timeline. Well, that doesn't work either because <clears throat> the stones are the same in all of the alternate universes. The stones are the constant. So even then, it's seriously just a movie continuity. Or you could say that the Mind Stone was just held in a blue crystal. I think that works. Speaking of the Mind Stone and the Tesseract being connected, the next scene we're introduced to the fact that the Tesseract is being weird and it's letting off like a lot of weird energy <laughs> signals. And oddly gendered. That one dude just definitely assigned a gender to a kid. <laughs> I... I chalk that up to many late nights in the lab. Yeah, I mean, like, it's definitely a Captain Ahab situation here, kind of a thing. Going going absolutely bonkers, but I, I definitely have somewhere in my notes, oddly gendered cube. When he's specifically referring to, like, it's power or its activity. It's a she. But other times when he's just passively referring to it, he said a couple times in the movie that he did something. He's a tricky one. So, so, so it was something like that. He's not consistent with his gendered cube. Maybe uh, maybe Selvig is just crazy. Who knows? But yeah, we, uh, we get to see Project Pegasus, which is name dropped several times throughout the MCU. And I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. I didn't even notice. Most people don't. I just happened to watch videos on YouTube that mention it. 
And I was like, oh yeah, that's where it's shown. I also didn't notice. Aha! Something I noticed that no one else did. In this room. Okay, thank you for just knocking me down a few pegs. Anyway, so they're evacuating that's... this campus. I was about to... <laughs> that's why I'm here! <laughs> I figured. Yeah, they're they're busy evacuating the campus. We see Coulson, and we are introduced to Maria Hill, and Nick Fury is there, finding out information from Eric Selvig about how the Tesseract is like spiking in energy, which is why they are evacuating. Also, Phase 2 is mentioned several times during this scene, and I wrote down, what is Phase 2? Which we find out later in the movie. Mm -hmm. But I was very much like, what is Phase 2? <laughs> yeah. What's happening? I definitely like Nick Fury's lines in this movie are just on point. I've got the, this one here. I don't know if anybody else just took specific lines like that, but until such time as the world ends, we shall act as though it intends to spin on. I just, I, I just, I just like it. You just like, bam. Oh yeah, uh, Nick Fury's got just the best lines in this movie. He's honestly. got miles of character. Due mostly in part to who plays him. Yeah, that, that's definitely, that's definitely a big deal. Love Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury in these movies. I'm glad they went with that alternate dimension of Avengers. Because, you know, in the, like, originals, Nick Fury was written in... You mentioned the, the previous episode about the Howling Commandos. He was one of the Howling Commandos, which was written in the, what, Silver Age of comics? Yeah, it's it's nice that they used the, the modern take on him. They definitely got some good use out of the character. We see that in later movies as well. Agent Barton is also in that scene with Maria Hill, who's played by Colby Smulders. And he's just passively picked up enough Tesseract information to, just to be the mouthpiece for that little tidbit that he does there. Like, Fury has a question, and it's Hawkeye absorbed enough from Selvig to give that information there. He's got good eyesight, and he uses that to perceive everything that's going on. From a distance. Just, just enough to become a... Uh exposition machine. I have two main points in this scene where they're like dealing with the Tesseract situation. One is that somebody makes a comment that the Tesseract is a door. Clint. Yeah, he makes a comment about the Tesseract being a door, which is, I have some questions about that because for Loki to use the Tesseract as a portal and access it from his side instead of it being accessed on the shield side, that's pretty much canon that the Mind Stone would have to be connected to the Tesseract for it to work, right? some more continuity issues there, but is that how that works? Well, the the Tesseract is the the space stone, so it's all about rearranging three-dimensional space or moving fourth dimensionally, uh, which, yeah, the, the Tesseract could definitely be used for everything they do in the movie, but yeah, I think you're right, it's kind of a continuity thing because the Mind Stone, I mean, unless you socket it into a glove, it doesn't really interact with the other stones from... <laughs> What I know. Which still brings up the question of where the where did the scepter come from and how is it connected to the Tesseract? My second thing in that scene is that the thing that's holding the Tesseract is literally just a big arc reactor. It looks exactly like Tony's arc reactor. Totally missed that. Me too. I did want to comment that Loki's entrance, he looks unhinged. He, he looks deranged. Yeah, like he's losing it. He's not his usual composed self. And he gets seven dings on the kill counter in the first ten seconds of him being on Earth. That is... I'm not going to do that math to figure out how many people that is per second, it, but it's... It's much. It's close to one. It's, it is close to one, yeah. It's 0.7 people. That's, uh, Duh, two. that's easy math. Too, too, too many people. Ugh. And in that scene, who all does he take over? He takes over Selvig. Uh, a random S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and Hawkeye. Those three. 
and Spartan shoots Fury without any preamble or anything. He's very no-nonsense, just like, all right, this is what we're doing now, shooting Fury, taking the, the Tesseract. Yeah, it seems like the mind-controlled people, this is like the best way mind control can work, is they uh, act in their controller's best interest to the best of their ability. Yeah. Which is honestly the, the scariest kind of thing for everyone around them. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll get to it get to it later, but I think that, like, one of the reasons that Hawkeye actually loses in a fight to Natasha on, like, relatively even ground is that despite them acting in the best interest of Loki, Loki isn't allowing them to sleep for the entire duration, like, from this moment to the conclusion of this movie. Everyone who was mind-controlled was not sleeping and just only working. Which makes sense because Selvig hasn't shaved. You can see all his stubble has grown out and he looks like he's exhausted. When we see Hawkeye go up to the helicarrier, his eyes are just so sunken and like he's got dark circles because he's just, just completely out of it. He's focused on the stuff. He's doing his best, but I don't think he slept in like, what, two, three days? Yeah, maybe it's, it's at least two days, I think. I think also going into the, the mind control aspect of it at that point, Hawkeye's goal is to get Loki out. I doubt there's really part of the plan that involves Hawkeye beyond that. So maybe the reason that he loses that fight is not only that he's tired, but also that he's no longer part of the plan. He doesn't need to win that fight because Loki doesn't need him to win it. Loki's free. And also Natasha is a bad. <laughs> yes! Uh, that is that is also very true, which we see in... I don't want to downplay that. Right, yeah, that's that, that wasn't the point of that, just kind of analyzing everything. But Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, is introduced in the next scene, which is a great introduction, because it's, it's a fight scene, but before that, it is a great example of showing one of Black Widow's greatest skills, which is her manipulation of people because she's interrogating a guy while she's tied up. He's giving her all the information that she needs and he doesn't even realize it. You missed like a whole chase scene. Wait, you had more for the Loki scene? Because I also, I definitely wanted to say that Loki on the back of the truck shooting things with his staff was definitely a turret section in a video game somewhere. Oh, I want him to make an Avengers video game that includes that. They probably have. I need to look into that. Yeah, so Loki makes a comment in his deranged speech that he's giving to Nick Fury that he's burdened with a glorious purpose. Oh, I love that line. And he says it again later. In this scene talking about him being deranged, my question is, since Thanos had access to the Mind Stone, is it possible that Loki was under some sort of effect? Because the manipulation of saying, I'm burdened with glorious purpose, is not... Like, Loki has a lot of trauma, but... Caitlin, can do you have the power to edit in the dun 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 sound in there? I, because that that should happen right right, right there. there. Because that that's my experience hearing that theory. That was a thought that I had while watching the movie, and for some reason I didn't write it down. And I'm so glad that you did. Yeah, because he looks like he's not himself. Like, yeah, he's got a lot of trauma and a lot of issues, but like this dude <laughs> is not like like he's killed eighty people. <laughs> like, <this> dude, 
No, no, he's only killed seven so far. Well, well, most of it is probably in reference to the fact that he caused the station to crumble in on itself and not everybody could get out. Right. Which, Technically, he didn't do that. The Tesseract did that. But we can count that for him because he, he's the one that came through and made it even more unstable. But he also took the Tesseract with him. Yeah. But then there's a whole chase scene with essentially Agent Hill chasing him in a Jeep. That's a pretty cool chase scene. But nothing really comes of it other than... They get away. Yeah. Agent Hill is cool and tough, and we don't get to see enough of her in these movies. And I, agree. I have not watched Agent of Shield. I do not know if she's in it. She's not. Oh. Okay. Yeah. She's she's really cool and underused. Because if you think about it, she doesn't really do much in any of the movies. And she also gets Thanos snapped, right? Yeah. She doesn't even get to like we don't even get to see her take over when when Fury's gone. Oh, that would have been great. But yeah, no. Also, Fury just freaking rolls out of that helicopter as it's going down when he when Loki's sniping it out of the sky. He has got to start carrying something more beefy than a pistol. Yes, he Does gets he... some use out of that out of that pistol though. That was all my notes for that section, but I do have notes on your Natasha scene. Coulson brings up Barton, and Natasha's mood immediately changes. In this movie, it is heavily it can be heavily assumed. That there is a romantic relationship between Barton and Natasha, which we know is not true from later movies because we get to meet Barton's family. I mean, we also know from later in this movie where she drops the coldest line ever, love is for children, I owe him a debt. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. After that scene of the building collapsing, we then in order get all of the different Avengers, so where they're at, what they're doing, how they get called in. It kind of starts with, with Coulson calling Romanoff and letting her know that she's got the big guy, and so we get the scene of her going to India. Banner. Banner scene is peak Banner. Oh, absolutely. The calm demeanor of Banner using the subtle manipulation of pretending to be angry. Also, nice. this is the first scene that we see Natasha genuinely afraid. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what I, what I got here in my notes is Scarlet legit scared. The main reason that we see that is because Black Widow, her really her main tool is not her fighting skills. She's got incredible fighting skills, but her main tool that she uses is manipulation. She's very good at getting people to do what she wants or say what she wants. I think the reason that she is so afraid of Banner and the Hulk is because the Hulk is not a creature that can be reasoned with as far as she knows. He is a creature of brute strength, which she cannot go up against. It's also kind of hinted in the scene that Banner has already figured out how to control his changing into the Hulk, at least to some degree. Banner mentions his secret and uh, Agent Romanoff kind of uh, try, tries to prod him a little bit about what it is, and he won't answer. Kind of, we get that reveal later on, but we we do get to see that Banner kind of has a handle on that. That's a through line for the, this whole movie. For Banner is uh, bringing up the the secret. Yeah, he brings it up for I think all of the other members. He mentions like that's not the secret, and then he gets cut off or something else happens. Or, like, Tony asks him what his secret is later. Because he asks him if it's Pilates. I can't remember if Cap does. But yeah, it, it is a it is a common theme throughout. We find out that S.H.I.E.L.D. does not, or and Fury, does not want Banner for the Hulk. They want him just to track the Tesseract. Whereas Loki only wants him for the Hulk. Right. Right. Right off the bat, 
I want, I'm so mad. Cap's flashbacks are 50, his like traumatic flashbacks are 50% him doing cool stuff. Like, nothing bad happening whatsoever. The last bit of his flashback isn't from his perspective. It's of, like, the people that discover his body. This was the... Like, his movie was the one that came right before Avengers, and it's the only one that gets an actual, like, flashback recap. And I was just, I was just watching this, and I was like, man, do you remember when Marvel cared whether or not you knew the stuff from the other movies? <laughs> I didn't pay any attention to what was actually happened, like, what is shown in his flashback. The only thought I had about that flashback was wondering if that was trying to show that Cap has PTSD. But if that was the goal, they used the wrong scenes for it. Exactly. From that movie, there's plenty of shots where dudes get evaporated by Hydra technology and all sorts of other stuff that he's got to bear witness to, but they choose the, the cool stuff where he's being a hero through all that. In that scene... Nick Fury meets Captain America and encourages him to join the Avengers Initiative. Yes. But that's not actually the Avengers Initiative. Sure. He's like, some things might have changed. Yeah. And Steve's like, well, a lot of things have changed. Whatever. And Nick was like, I'll bet you $10 you're wrong. (laughs) Yes. that That is one thing Cap mentions that he doubts he'll see anything else that surprises him at this point, which comes back later. We skip from Cap over to Tony and see that he is working on sustainable energy. Tony Stark's introduction opens up on the libertarian dream doing unlicensed electric work on a, what, a corporate building? At some point, someone's gonna have to work on those pipes, you know? Some, like, poor union working electrician is gonna get down there and see some alien Stark technology he's got no idea what to do with and you're just gonna like take it off just remove it or report it or something and then the whole Stark tower is just gonna go dark (laughs) because Tony didn't want to go through the proper channels and get a license we, we could have hoped that he went through the right channels and got a license so that he could do it himself. We all know that he did not. Because <laughs> he's Tony Stark. He's he Tony doesn't Stark. have to. Pepper, like, literally says, we need to, like, actually get some coverage on this and tell people that we've done this to promote our, like, clean energy thing. And then later in the movie, he brags, like, I'm the only guy doing clean energy. Like, he overrid the... City's electrical system (laughs) so that he could specifically be the only one off the grid. Oh, but yeah, we see Tony and Pepper have a date. So that's going well. Date. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Which Coulson rudely interrupts. Yes. First off, we get uh, 12%, which is a uh, going thing in the MCU. I don't remember if it happens in any of the earlier movies, but this one was the first one that I remembered it happening because Tony makes a comment about Pepper being able to give herself 12% of the credit for Stark Tower, which later bites his butt because she mentions that she was having 12% of a moment. Tony makes a comment when Phil is trying to call, when the system gets overridden and the call goes through. Tony 
says that you've reached the life model decoy of Tony Stark, which is a nod to the comics, because life model decoys are something that are in the comics, and Nick Fury has used them multiple times to fake his own death. Good. Because people think that they kill Nick Fury, and in fact they have just destroyed a life model decoy. And we also get the funny comment about Agent Coulson's first name. Phil! No, it's Agent. Also, we get the line again that I feel like they just made up that Tony Stark doesn't like to be handed things. I feel like they just made that up in the second Iron Man movie. It wasn't mentioned in the first one, was it? You know this is a movie, right? They made everything up. I feel like they just made it up to make Tony look like a diva. Anyway, so we find out that Pepper calls Colson Phil, and Phil's apparently dating a cellist that lives in Pennsylvania. Was, because she moved back to Portland? I think Pepper Potts knows more about Coulson's life than any of us do, apparently. See if we have anything else before they all assemble. <sighs> they don't assemble. No one says anything about assembling. No, they all go to the helicarrier. They all group up. Avengers, group up. <laughs> Sounds so much better than Avengers, assemble. let's get together. Oh, I had a comment about uh, Coulson fanboying over Cap. It's just, like, part of it is just seems so pure, but then part of it is kind of creepy. Also, Natasha and Steve together are hilarious. I just like how they connect. I like that Steve is just a really good guy when it comes to Banner when they're first on the helicarrier and Banner is trying to, like, gauge what people know and, like, what he suspects about why he's there. Cat makes a comment about how, you know, he hears the word is that you're going to help us find the Tesseract. And he's like, is that the only word? And Steve's just like, it's the only word I care about. Also, this helicarrier looks exactly like a naval ship. And then we find out it's not an ocean ship. And we think it's a submarine, but it's not a submarine. It's an airship. Uh, while Banner is on the bridge, he's still, like, hiding his face from security guards and the people that are there. Like, he still, like, his body language is very, very reserved. There's one point where he does go, like, he's about to leave and sees the guards, and he, like, puts his head down and, like, gets his shoulder in between his face and them. His lifestyle over the past year has definitely affected his body language and the way he conducts himself in general. Which we see a little of when he's helping that girl in India and going to the house because he stops her and hides his face from the police that are passing. Yeah, and they definitely do bring that back. He doesn't feel safe there. But yeah, we get to see the the helicarrier. Steve gives Nick Fury $10 because the helicarrier was a bit of a surprise. And then they are there looking for Loki and trying to figure out what they're what they're going to do, setting up, looking for the Tesseract, and they're doing face recognition. And they get a match. Loki's in Stuttgart, Germany. Also, in this kill count that you're keeping track of... Mm-hmm. Did you get the guy with the eye? Did I he die? Did. We, I think we, we skipped... Oh, he, he we, definitely died. We skipped a moment where we do get a, a little scene in Loki's underground tech lab. Oh, yes! Uh, where I immediately wonder, like, is everyone here mind-controlled? And they... I think they specifically want you to because they do not show anyone's eyes. Yeah, I don't know if they're mind-controlled because somebody mentions, like, they ask where everybody came from. They say that S.H.I.E.L.D. has a lot of enemies. Yeah, like, Barton kind of implies that he knows where the enemies of S.H.I.E.L.D. are and he just went and got them. But there's a good chance that they're just all mind-controlled. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, he definitely could have got them from those places and it would make sense for Loki to just, like, boop, 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 boop everyone's chests, uh, because that's where their minds are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how that works. 
What I want to know is, was that a flashback with Loki talking to the other? Or was that an astral projection to the, like, present? I was wondering the same thing, and it's hard to tell because Loki looks different in that scene. Like, not just the costume, but just the way that he looks. He looks slightly less unhinged in the scene with the other. It could just be an astral projection and he just chooses how he looks in it. And we see at the end of it that he, like, moves, like he's affected by it, but I don't think they really explain it either way. I actually had the same thought. And it's at this point where I'm definitely wondering if uh, Mr. Two Thumbs, the other, actually knows Thanos' plan at all, at least in terms of the canon. I think part of the problem is that Joss Whedon didn't know Thanos' plans because he didn't know what to do with him. But yeah, that I I really like the headcanon that just the other has no idea what's actually going on. He's just there as a liaison to the to the Chitari and Thanos just told him what he wanted to hear, very possibly. Makes sense. Because it, it seems like Thanos is a bit of a manipulator, too. You know, we have, like, the scene where the, the ship is flying, then we go to the underground tech lab, then we go mm -hmm. back to the ship, and Coulson is just beaming, so proud to show off Cap to everybody. But before we get all that, we get the, the stuff that's happening in Stuttgart, where... Loki stabs a man in the eye to be able to open a vault. Yeah. Hawkeye murders two people. Uh, yes. Two two innocent security guards. Security guards, and then and I for for a, a little bit I thought this might be one of the reasons why you got me on here as a, a hashtag first guest. I have a specific phobia of ocular trauma. Like it's uh, whew, it's 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 not not good for me, and. Out of all of the Marvel movies uh, that uh, have come out, uh, this scene is burned into my retinas, ironically. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's it's the main reason I can't get behind Loki fangirlism. I know, like, Tom Hiddleston is a hot, hot, hot man. <laughs> but... He did uh, use an immersion blender on a man's eyeball. I did not know that you had this phobia. And Me either. Until today. I had, I astral projected into another state. I was cringing so hard. Well, Loki astral projected an eye into, <laughs> a, into a retina scanner. Yeah. And the reason they did this is to get iridium, which, why did they need the iridium? For stabilization science-y things. They, I, I listened to some of the science words. This this com comes, like, later where crazy science man uh, was talking about some of the science words to um, somebody about why they needed the iridium. And one person mentioned, I think it was Banner said that, yeah, in order to open up a portal with Tesseract, they would need to heat its surface to 120 million Kelvin, which is eight times the temperature of the core of the sun. This is why I don't listen to the science words. Well, I'll get, I'll get to, the, I have more to say on the science later. But the reason they needed the iridium was so that they didn't have to heat it to eight times the 
temperature of the core of the sun. Well, there we go. Good. All right. So also in this scene, can we just say, Loki picked a bad place to try and make people kneel. Bad, bad geography choice. <laughs> Knowing the history of the earth, which he doesn't because he's not from earth. Right. He probably doesn't even know who Hitler is. Probably not. But this this scene is probably one of the most well-written out of this movie. The fact that if you stop and think about this, the man that stands up to Loki was the only English-speaking person there. <laughs> Look, I wasn't... <clears throat> I thought it. I was not going to comment on it. Now, that, that said, Europe is a lot better about bilingualism or multilingualism. There's a good chance that most of the, most of the people in that crowd understood at least part of what Loki was saying. They got the idea. No, the age of the person that stands up to Loki and the fact that they're in Germany, that guy was probably a Nazi. Not only that, he from what he says, he was probably one of the people that only followed Hitler because it was what everyone thought was best for Germany. And well, not everyone that was in Germany during that time was like, yeah, I'm going to sign on with the Nazis. No, that's that's no, that's the point that I'm making. The Nazis weren't the Nazis to the Nazis. The Nazi party was a political party before it became what we see it as today. Hitler's thing was that he was able to get people to sign on to that not because they were evil or bad or anything like that. It was because they thought that that was what was best for Germany. Hitler was an amazing speaker, but there are a lot of World War II survivors. They were on the side of the Nazis, so it's it's really poignant, it's really cool to have it be in Germany and have this person be someone who was probably around then, and it makes, it really packs more of a punch with him standing up and going, no. And when Loki's about to kill him, we also, like, he, he's about to shoot him with the scepter, we also see the, the fear in the guy's eyes. But he still doesn't back down. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's so well written. What does Loki say? What does Loki say before Loki that? Loki says something about kneeling, and, you know, it's better to kneel. And the guy stands up and says, not to men like you. And Loki says, there are no men like me. And he, the comeback is, there are always men like you. Very, very nice. I, I also want to point out something. That speech that Loki gives, I think, is Loki projecting his own fears about himself and the inevitability of his own failures. Because he's talking about born to serve and you know, it would just be better if you gave up and leaned into it, that, that sort of thing. Like... He knows that his life would just be better if he went back home to Asgard and let his brother be king and just did what he wanted in his home where he could be happy. But he, he's not going to let himself do that. And that's one of the things that I really think is like, yes, he's unhinged for this whole thing, for this whole movie, because that is his internal turmoil. That's... And it all, it comes out in this scene. And you're right, in the wrong place. In the right place for someone to stand up to him over it. And it to be one of the people he, he looks down on. Right. I uh, think yeah. it's all projection. That is a really good point. I've never thought of that before. Thank you. I also think it's very ironic 
poetic, whatever you want to say. But Captain America is the one that shows up. And he goes straight for the face punch. <laughs> oh, yeah, he goes straight for that. He's Hitler in Germany, he knows what to do. <laughs> uh, he's punched Hitler in the face over 200 it, times. I have got to say that... Okay, so, like, the suit in the previous movie is fine. They, like, kind of put, like, some soldier stuff together. Make it kind of, kind of realistic. It was a little bit bulky. But they threw it all in the garbage... Because the new suit design, oh my, oh my god, <laughs> Chris Evans in that new clean, crisp suit, mm. it gives me sky beams, man. I can't, I can't. Gives me a real sky beam. <laughs> Never punch you in the face. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm more of a fan of his later costumes, but yeah. This this new one, the the change from the from the World War Two era one was definitely needed. As the only female in the room, <laughs> why are you two fangirling about Captain America? Have you seen Chris Evans without a shirt on? I have. That's your answer. Okay, so Iron Man uh, ends up helping Captain America. Oh, he knows how to make an entrance. That's for sure. Oh, Iron Man, yeah, one hundred yeah. one million percent. Hack into the the stereo system for the Quinjet, shoot Loki in the face, and show off all of his weaponry. Right. Anyway, so they capture Loki. Way too easily. Way too easily. Um, and then we are introduced to the last Avenger. Thor. Because yeah. Thor flies in and steals Loki. Alright guys, so our episode that we recorded with Wes actually was so long that we're going to split it up into two separate episodes. So we're going to end this episode here. We just wanted to thank you guys so much for listening. Your support has been awesome. We wanted to thank Wesley. You can follow him on social media at Wes the Guest. Uh, he made a Twitter specifically for this. Thanks so much for Wes for being an awesome guest. Our first ever guest. Thanks for making it awesome and fun even though you and my husband were simping for Chris Evans. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelous Duo. And a special thank you, as always, to Mikhail Bureau for the use of our theme song for intro and outro. You can find his information in the episode description. We hope that you've enjoyed the first half of us discussing the Avengers, and we hope to see you again. Thank you guys so much for watching, and you guys have a marvelous day. I've been trapped in this room with these people for five hours. We let you have food. That's, that, that is true. It and was, water. It was good, but it's very cold in this room.